Transform primary care in your community. Join us at the IHI Summit on Primary Care, April 16th to 18th, right outside Washington, D.C. Attend over 30 sessions that will help you achieve better outcomes for the people and populations you serve. Reserve your spot before March 13th to save $100. Visit IHI.org summit for more information. And now, here's WIHI. A lot of the work health systems are engaged in these days to improve population health is almost by definition experimental and innovative. Most hospitals are still finding their way working with patients to influence and improve upstream circumstances in their lives. Collaborations with community groups outside healthcare's walls are often new and they can be fragile at first. In the meantime, at any single hospital or health system, it's often not clear how the various population health initiatives align with one another or add up to a clear strategy. These issues can be addressed, however, and that's what we're going to get into on this edition of WIHI. And I do want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live this way and after the show as an archived edition on IHI.org and as an on-demand podcast. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. If you're not familiar with the thinking and resources behind what's called Pathways to Population Health, you're in for a treat. Others cannot do the work for you, but they can help you get organized, connect some dots, and map out plans. Joining us by phone from Concord, New Hampshire, Betsy Reinhardt is Vice President of Population Health at Concord Hospital in Concord, New Hampshire. In this role, she leads the development and execution of Concord's hospital's population health strategy, and she works to collaborate across the Concord health system and the community to move the care delivery model toward population health and value-based arrangements. Betsy is also the executive director of NH Cares ACO. That's an accountable care organization located in New Hampshire. Welcome, Betsy. Hi, Matt. Hello. And here in the studio with me is Trissa Torres. She is IHI's Chief Population Health and Content Development Officer. Trissa has extensive experience in clinical preventive medicine, population management, and public community and population health. Prior to joining IHI, Trissa led population health initiatives at Genesis Health System in Flint, Michigan. Trissa has been involved with IHI's Triple AIM strategy since its prototyping phase, and she serves as senior sponsor for numerous IHI initiatives. Welcome, Trissa. Thanks, Madge. All right, Trissa's going to get us going. Um, and throughout the program, we're going to show you some screenshots of wonderful resources and try and get these links into the chat as well. Don't panic, though, because all this stuff gets posted to the website after the program, uh, so you'll have access to it there, too. So, Trissa, every time we get into population health, I think, oh, my God, it's so big. Uh, where are we zooming in? And one of the things about Pathways is it does seem like it's a way to take some of that anxiety of the bigness of it all and how 
potentially large, uh, the charge. So much is going on, U.S. and globally. And if we zoom in in this country, I would think that maybe we're past the building will and awareness stage. You tell me if that seems right. So how would you characterize the state of play right now and maybe some of the challenges wherever we seem to be on the continuum? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Madge. I mean, I agree with you that I think that we've, over the past 10 years, we've really seen a huge progress of healthcare delivery systems moving from a focus on the individual patient interaction solely to really seeing themselves as part of a system accountable for health outcomes for whole populations and really looking at those outcomes across the triple aim. So still accountable for the experience of care and the individual patient interaction, but also seeing that health outcomes at the whole population matters, as well as how the costs play out in caring for those whole populations. So I agree with you that we've we've really begun to see that shift, but many, many challenges remain. I think that some of the challenges are really in the how, right? So people believe in this. Yes, we know we should do this. We want to do this. We want to be a part of moving more towards improving health outcomes for whole populations and communities. But where do we start? Who are the key partners that we work with? How do we strengthen those partnership relationships? How do we do this equitably? Uh, and of course, how will we know that a change is an improvement? What does <coughs> excuse me? What does how do we do this equitably mean in in your phrasing there? So when I think about improving health outcomes for populations, oftentimes we look at a mean, and we can see a mean improve. And even when a mean improves, there could be a subset of that populations whose outcomes get worse. So it's really important that not only do we look at the overall improvement, but we also look at the distribution of outcomes across that population. Once upon a time, um, everyone was concerned or worried, like, how are health systems going to pay for these kinds of investments? This, these aren't the business models. And um, we're not going to get into a lot of this, but I'm just curious, does that remain a barrier, an excuse? Well, of course, we have seen shifts in payment systems. And so with the accountable care organizations and more and more risk contracting, we are seeing the incentives start to align. But there still is the bulk of healthcare delivery that's paid for by fee-for-service. So there is still some, some challenges and tensions around how to make the money flow. And there's more and more opportunities to align that so that the resources can go toward doing the right thing that improves outcomes. All right, so let's shift, and we've got a slide up here already that hopefully you're taking a peek at. Um, tell us about Pathways to Population Health, uh, what it's designed to do, and um, what kinds of – you're going to walk us through some of the resources that can be especially helpful. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Madge. So Pathways to Population Health really grew out of the 100 Million Healthier Lives movement, and the – it was initially championed by five partners, the American Hospital Association, IHI, the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement, Stakeholder Health, and uh, the Public Health Institute, and with some funding by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And when those five partners came together, the idea was around creating some aligned messaging around population health. At the time in the field, there, you know, everybody had a different definition of what does population health mean. And so those partners came together and said, we need some aligned messaging, and we need some frameworks and some tools to really support healthcare delivery systems on this journey. So to start with, they came up with these foundational concepts 
concepts, which I think is really important to really ground us in what this is all about. And on the left side of this diagram, you see foundational concepts around what creates health. And the idea that healthcare just is one piece of the puzzle and that there are place and social determinants and really the life course all impact health outcomes. On the right side of the diagram, you see it addressing what role healthcare can play. And again, all the way over to number six, recognizing that healthcare just holds one piece of the puzzle. And so in some ways, one of the things we always say is that population health is a team sport. Healthcare delivery is just one of the members of the team. So moving from those foundational concepts, we actually get to the overall framework. And on the slide here, you can see, well, first of all, I need to start by saying all frameworks are wrong. Some are useful. So the importance of this framework is to see if you can find something useful in it as you think about uh, approaching your population health efforts. What I want to call out in this framework is, first of all, it being centered around equity. Going back to what we mentioned a few minutes ago, Madge, around the distribution of health outcomes are so critical. And there are many population segments whose experience of inequities are longstanding, and we really must attend to that as we look at our population health journeys. But the other piece about this diagram is it really breaks out into four portfolios. On the left side of the diagram, Oftentimes, healthcare delivery systems start by thinking about populations of which they see themselves directly accountable for. That could be their patient populations or employee populations. In portfolio one, it's focusing on the physical and or mental health of that discrete population. An example of the type of intervention that might be could be integrating behavioral health and physical health so that you're addressing for that particular pa patient population addressing both physical and mental health needs. In portfolio two, that's looking still at that uh, discrete patient population which you feel accountable for, but it's expanding what you feel accountable for so you begin to address social and or spiritual aspects of health. That, uh, what that could look like is it could look like screening for food insecurity and then linking people with food resources. On the right side of the diagram, that's where healthcare delivery systems start to see themselves as just one of the members of their community. So then looking at the, at their population being beyond just the patients they serve, but the community in which they are serving and that broader population of community members. And in portfolio three, they would be partnering with one another one or more other organizations across their community to address a specific issue. So that might look like partnering with a school to address asthma treatment within the context of that school children population. And when we move to portfolio four, whole communities of solutions, that's really looking at multiple partners across the community coming together to address full system issues. That could be something like looking at how to strengthen food systems at the whole community level. So that's the, that's the concept that we're talking about. That's the framework. And the other thing that the group uh, started, that the, the group was able to develop were some tools to support organizations on this journey. And one of the key tools of what we're really going to be focusing on today is what we call the Pathways to Population Health Compass. The concept behind the compass is for healthcare delivery systems to be able to do a self-assessment of where are we in this work? 
What are we doing well at? Where are our strengths? Where are our opportunities? And how can we use this to help prioritize where we want to put our energy to improve and accelerate in our journey toward population health? Do you want me to take a minute to walk through a little bit of what this compass looks like? Yes. I um, asked uh, Teresa, in fact, we, she had stewardship in there, and then I asked to include a couple more equity and payment, just to give you an example, and you can certainly uh, look at this later, too, uh, but just a, maybe an example of how would you use this, really? How would it be helpful? Yeah. So so what this compass does is, again, there's there's eight different uh, components to it, and it's as a self-assessment, and, and oftentimes healthcare organizations organizations might want multiple different uh, leaders to take the compass. They might want also their community partners to engage in that and and compare and contrast their own views of their self-assessment. But as you can see, each of the different eight components, you can rank yourself kind of in the, are you at the beginning of your journey? Are you early in making progress? All the way to Really, are you implementing it broadly? Have you taken these concepts to full scale? This is one example that talks about stewardship. But if we go to the next slide, I want to talk a little bit about equity. And here's an example of where, you know, maybe your health system is just starting to think about or talk about equity. Maybe you've moved to the point where you actually, in all of your measurements, you're able to segment your data by race or by other demographics or by zip code to understand where the inequities might lie. Or maybe you're all the way to the point where you are actively and intentionally addressing things that are the upstream causes of inequity, such as uh, institutional racism and, 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 the, and the like. Let me go on to the next slide. We just wanted to give you one other example of, how, of what uh, is in this tool. This is an example that comes from Portfolio 2. And again, the idea of being able to say, where do we land as a health system? How much progress have we made? Now, we've had over a 1,000 users take this compass, and what we found is that the biggest challenges actually lie in area four, partnerships with people with lived experience. Again, everyone has a good intention of wanting to really have the, the community member and the patient be at the center, but thinking of them at the center and truly partnering are two different things, and those are some challenges that remain. And the other area wh where we found um, organizations reported the biggest challenges across the four portfolios were actually in Portfolio 2 and portfolio, portfolio 4. So really getting beyond that mental and physical health into the social and spiritual aspects and full partnerships across the community. What would you say, we're going to turn to Betsy in just a minute, what would you say are the consequences of, uh, in some way, not working with people with lived experience? It sounds obvious that that's a real missing link. And again, we often have really good intentions around that, but what happens when we don't adequately get that voice and representation in our redesign efforts is that we design, we redesign a system around what we think is most important. And if it's coming from our view of the system, it often reinforces the biases that we already have. Whereas if we can get people who are the users of our system to really say, this is what better would look like, oftentimes those ideas, when we hear them, we're like, wow, you're right. That makes so much sense. But we oftentimes can't see it from our perspective. All right. Thanks so much, Trissa. All right, let's pivot now uh, to Betsy Reinhardt at Concord Hospital. 
Um, and uh, this is uh, one very uh, evocative example of using the tools and resources and uh, finding them helpful for the particular issues and needs uh, at your organization. So, uh, Betsy, tell us a little bit about Concord Hospital and how it's gotten into population health. Thank you. Sure. First, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm really honored and excited for the conversation. Uh, Just a little bit of background information about Concord Hospital. Uh, We're a regional health system in central New Hampshire that includes an acute care hospital, a multidisciplinary medical group, an affiliated home health agency and behavioral health provider groups through our parent organization, Capital Region Healthcare. And I've uh, listed some of the key statistics on the slide for you. I think more importantly, though, we face the cha- uh, the challenges that many of you on the call probably face in terms of uh, increasing behavioral health and substance use issues currently uh, in the state of New Hampshire, the second oldest state in the country, rapidly aging, um, increasing acuity and chronic disease, and all of these factors test our capacity daily. But we also struggle with workforce shortages, the shift of care mix from commercial to Medicare, impacting finances, and um, as Tristan mentioned earlier, the movement to risk and value-based models. And so this is probably very familiar, but we, uh, as many probably do, have a lot of questions and challenges in how we succeed in the current healthcare environment. And all of this builds a very clear why we needed to change. Um, so what can we do to address challenges and advance the development of a value-based system in quadruple aim? And this is really where a population health management strategy comes into play. Next slide. So with clarity on the why, I wanted to talk a little bit about building the will or creating the momentum to move forward. It was interesting um, when Madge was introducing the topic, you know, sort of saying, I think we're beyond building the will, and, you know, perhaps that's true at the national level. There's been a lot of discussion, but certainly here um, as an organization, um, I'm going to share with you kind of our story, and building will is very much still uh, part of what we need to do. So we knew um, this had to, first of all, uh, to create that momentum, it had to start with linking population health with our organization's overall strategy. Um, And in 2015, with a new CEO, uh, population health got onto our radar screen as one of our top five priorities. And he created leadership with elevation of my role and a part-time physician leadership role. We made some investments, the most significant shown in the bubbles on this slide. And to tie it back to that portfolio, and again, to sort of affirm what I heard Trista talk about, was there was a lot of, we've had a lot of focus on the left. I think it's the, the um, population health management side of it, portfolio uh, one in particular, doing work around chronic disease management. You'll notice there's a, a COPD collaborative uh, in one of the bubbles. Um, thinking about uh, uh, behavioral health and integration of behavioral health. Um, and you'll see uh, one of the bubbles talks about the doorway, which was a new um, uh, initiative in the state to increase access to behavioral health. Um, and, and you know, also on in Portfolio 3 around uh, community health programming and community health needs. So we are very much in line with what Trissa mentioned, um, one and, and doing our work in one and three. Um, and so all of this was a great starting point, and you know, we were beginning to see some movement and moving to financial risk with payers, but it did not build the will across the organization in ways that we thought it would. And in 2018, as we were putting together our plans for the following year, we realized, um, despite having the strategic priority and putting many things in place, that we really were not acting as a system, um, that there were pockets of population health work, uh, siloed initiatives with competing goals, resources, objectives, 
we, and we didn't have much buy-in, and there really was a huge gap in understanding of what this all meant. So that's what this slide um, really represents, is the state of affairs in 2018. And we knew if we wanted to progress our culture and our organization toward population health, we had to go back uh, to the drawing board, really develop a clear path, and build the will across our organization. And so as a goal for 2019, we uh, made it a priority to develop um, what we call a population health management plan 2.0. Um, and this planning effort really was our key approach to engage key stakeholders in the path forward and build well. And I would say very fortuitously, during that same fall of 2018, I joined the Pathways Learning Collaborative and very quickly realized they had an excellent framework that was built to progress healthcare organizations um, pursuing population health and, and would really give scope to the unwieldy topic of, of, of population health. So this, what you're looking at now is really a, um, a visual representation of our journey through our planning process. Um, in early 19, we convened 70 people with a huge range of understanding about population health, many different perspectives, including clinical roles, administration, finance, IT, um, behavioral health, data, even food services, marketing, social work, security, and many others. And we really used the Pathways framework and tools to help us define terms and give scope to our discussion. It provided a great starting point for assessing current state, and the Compass and Four portfolios proved really effective in getting people thinking about what, you know, what were the current strengths, what, uh, where do we have opportunities, what, what else did we need to consider. And so we convened this group over uh, two months, um, which I facilitated with a team, and really looked at developing a shared understanding of current state, a shared definition of population health and population health management, a shared vision and goals, um, and we organized all of that into six domains uh, listed on this um, page to keep things simple. And then we use this to develop a three-year roadmap, um, again, uh, as you'll see on the, on the right side of the slide. And so this planning approach using the framework, um, framework worked really well for us, um, helped to set goals, generate a lot of ideas and positive energy. But there's a few things I did want to share, um, crucial to building the well and, and beyond just having that clear why. And I would also note that, uh, although they did not mention it earlier, that there's a, uh, the Pathways Guide to Getting Started. Um, which a lot of these ideas uh, fit in with what is outlined in the guide, um, which is great, great for me in this presentation. Um, but first and most importantly, I think, is, is to be intentional in respecting and people be very intentional in the messaging and the words used. And so as much as we wanted to engage people's mind uh, with our planning sessions, we also needed to engage the heart and really listen to what mattered to them. And this is where the tie to our mission became evident and resulted in a lot of very robust and lively conversations and a lot of aha moments. And while we didn't have the patients and families or people with lived experience in the room for planning, as you can see from the diagram at the bottom, it says engaging patients in their care. Um, it's really positioned as a major domain of our work and our plan moving forward and something we talked about a lot. The second thing I want to mention is really using data and stories. And I think this really will speak a little bit. The example I'll give will speak to um, kind of sparking discussion around equity. So we brought data together from a lot of different sources and tried on new ways of presenting information. And one way we did that was geomapping um, to sort of show down to the neighborhood level the connection between our healthcare utilization data and social drivers data found in public in our public health data. And um, this new data and data visualization prompted a lot of new thinking and many uh, aha moments for the participants. So while this may be, um, you know, using geomapping was is a tool used widely in public health, it was not something we had been doing in our um, healthcare system.
Can I um, interrupt you for two seconds? You're on a great roll here. So I hesitate uh, uh, to break in, but uh, you've now noted twice some aha moments. And uh, I just thought maybe we could just pause for a moment, uh, even as you continue with your narrative here. Um, first thing you had talked about is the aha moment that we needed to engage people in terms of their hearts, uh, in terms of building will. So I wonder if there might be an example of that. And also maybe then something, what was it in looking at the geomapping um, that might have either surprised uh, some people or drove home something they might not have quite understood before? Is that okay to answer those? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so I think I'll, I'm going to start with the data one. It, it's sort of right front and center um, for me. So we, you know, as I mentioned, we were looking at um, the healthcare utilization in, in conjunction with um, the public health data. And I think as we began to look at that, um, what we realized is first and foremost is that we, we saw that a lot of the uh, hospital admissions and, and particularly ambulatory care-sensitive conditions, so uh, things that could be managed in, in um, the outpatient setting, um, like COPD and heart failure and such, as well as emergency room visits were coming from areas where there was uh, high social vulnerability. And so um, we were able to see that down to the neighborhood level. Um, so it was really interesting for people to see that there was this sort of look at New Hampshire. Everyone might think that we're uh, very healthy, which we are, if you were to look at our state rankings uh, and everything, and even Merrimack County, very, you know, number two in terms of our overall health. But if you look at the pockets within Concord, it was very clear where the social vulnerability exists and how that resulted in increased um, hospital and, and emergency room utilization. And so then we began to look and say, you know, well, geez, where are we positioned um, and how does that translate into transportation um, in terms of our access points? And, and really found that there was a significant opportunity for us to be doing more community outreach-based work, um, also thinking about mobile strategies. Um, thinking about where we positioned our resources. And so I think kind of seeing those two things together, again, kind of perhaps affirmed for people, maybe something they knew, but it was really helpful to sort of progress that conversation. Um, it's a great example. And I, yeah. And I think in just in engaging the heart and, and the aha, um, around that, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's just sort of when hearing people, um, for them, I think hearing stories, personal stories, connecting in with those stories, um, uh, hearing the different perspectives in the room and having the space to be able to share what, you know, what, do you, what we all do and how we contribute to our mission and how we um, impact patient care. It created a lot of shared understanding of the value of, of the work that we all did. And that, to Trish's point and, and your point, this is really a team effort. Um, this is innovative work and innovative work by very nature requires a team with different perspectives coming together um, to be disruptive. So I think that would be kind of what I would say mm-hmm. is just the understanding, while we've got a lot of resources in our system and potentially we're really not using those as effectively as we could and we're not making those connections, we're still kind of working in silos. Thank you very much for taking that detour. Um, and you want to now? I know I, I broke your uh, flow there, talking okay. about your three-year plan and your your roadmap now. Yeah. So I mean, um, and I'm happy to stop at any point. Oh no, that's okay. So the, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. The other thing I would say is really um, the pathways framework is very well thought out, and it's been created by national experts 
So that immediately established credibility and an evidence basis to this approach right out of the gate. So that really helped. And we knew it would help guide us and give scope. Um, also, what I would say is you saw two of the uh, images that they used, and we really found that the framework provided uh, powerful and easy to understand images that we could use to help kind of um, carry the message through and people recognized and associated those with population health. So we've used this imagery extensively um, and found that the framework really resonated and is easy for people within healthcare and outside of healthcare to really understand. I want to go to the next slide. Mm -hmm. So um, we had a great plan. We had a lot of ideas, um, you know, but where we have honestly been challenged as an organization uh, historically has really been an execution. And certainly the work that I do is no exception. Um, so I really wanted to spend a few minutes on execution because I feel like um, uh, there's just a lot of a lot we can talk about there to really execute reliably and sustainably. Um, the first thing I want to mention is really organizing for innovation. So historically, what we've been trying to do with our work around innovation and population health is really to use what I would call people's slack time, which is okay for small-scale work, but that really did not align with the big and disruptive vision that we had in mind. So we had a, a team of sorts, but time had not been directly allocated um, for planning and execution, and accountability wasn't clear. We had a lot of committees, advisory groups, councils, checkpoints, to make decisions around pop health. But I, th I would say we really continue to function in silos with each silo having its own set of, of processes and, and groups. So in the fall of 19, um, we had a new chief clinical officer who um, really brought forward a book that has really shaped my thinking and a lot of, uh, a lot of the team called Beyond the Idea. It's written uh, by two Dartmouth professors. And it really speaks to the execution of innovation and is a resource uh, helping to shape how we organize to execute um, so we can execute more efficiently on our work and effectively. So we're, I'm not going to get into all the details, but we're really reorganizing leadership and creating, uh, most importantly, creating a dedicated innovation team to do the work um, in project management structures. Um, but what I really say about this, too, is that execution on innovation is very different from how we're approaching traditional operations work. Uh, but the two obviously need to, um, to partner. The second thing that I would say, and IHI talks a lot about this, is um, shrinking your change and, and, and really working on small tests of change. Um, and this is really key. I think um, innovative work by very nature being disruptive, as I mentioned before, can somewhat be at odds with operations. So there's a natural tension. So to help with that tension, um, focusing on smaller work is more tangible, a way to make connections and show value kind of before you go big with it. Um, and also my experience is that uh, with pop health work, it's very easy to to go very big, um, bite off a big chunk, wide scope of work. There's lots of tentacles, and it quickly becomes unwieldy and ambiguous. And because this is really about trying to, um, again, uh, work on innovation, it needs to be, pop health projects need to run more as like disciplined experiments, but we also need to be aware that we need to spend not a lot because there's really not the funding as was mentioned earlier, but we also need to learn a lot. So spend a little, learn a lot as we build our case. And the smaller um, approach to that really supports those two tenants. Um, and it really allows for that um, being uh, able to dig deeper and look a little more deeply at responding to new information through um, those continuous improvement cycles before we start building things into our medical record, reorganizing resources, and changing process. Um, the third thing I'll say is just standard work. And I'll, I'll, uh, what I will say about that is really in the bottom corner, you'll see kind of a, uh, our pop health project cycle. 
So we're really trying to create a standard approach to it so that people understand there's a science behind it and that we're also being intentional to connect right up front to finance and IT and other resources and data that are critically important to our project execution and also be clear up front with what we expect for outcomes and process measures. So having that right up front really speaks to um, understanding what where you're intending to go and what you would expect to be the outcomes because, again, this is innovation work and we really need to be able to show um, that value of the work that we're doing and or the opportunities to improve on that. And then on the other side, you'll see there's two examples of our visual management boards, which are not unique. I know this is uh, something um, widely used in healthcare. But what I'll say in terms of beyond the accountability um, and helping daily work, visual management, where it's including elements of population health work, keeps population health on the radar screen, radar screen and really helps to foster linkages and partnerships ongoing between operations and the innovation work. Um, also, just again, um, reiterating engaging people with lived experience. Um, we really feel that needs to be, and that's built and embedded within our population health project plan going forward. Um, not something we've done widely as an organization, but we will be, and we're, we're uh, be kicking that off in the next couple of months um, with some patient advisors. And then the final thing I would say on execution is that um, there's a lot of communication and education and engagement. Time is scarce. People are stressed. It's complex work. It's hard to understand. So we're really trying to get creative. Um, so one thing that we're doing is we're providing a series of very short uh, five, the longest one is 20 minutes, but most are in the five to 10 minute range videos that break down the complexity of population health into digestible pieces that staff can watch on their laptops or smartphones when time permits. And these launched in January, and feedback so far has been very positive. And then the second thing I'll mention um, that we're looking at is using those uh, videos in a flipped approach to learning, where we'll ask people to watch the video for basic content, and then once someone from the population health team will facilitate and engage with the leadership of unit practice town hall discussion type approach about the content. And we're starting to use that approach this month. Um, so I think that those huh. would be the, the two things uh, that I would mention on the engagement side. Wow. <laughs> Mentioned five, 10 minute videos, and I'm sure people's ears perked up. I won't put you on the spot or will just a little if uh, there's any way anybody may might be able to look at a sample one at some point. Uh, we could, uh, we'd be happy to share it as well. Um, but we will hold that idea. But it's it's terrific to think about that. Uh, with the short attention span. What we're going to do, Betsy, thank you for all this information. Uh, you know, you're talking very rapidly about things that went on for weeks and months, and I really appreciate uh, your being able to distill this. We're going to hold for a second on the New Hampshire, the statewide foundation, uh, and sort of how it all connects up. And I'd like to ask uh, Trissa for a few reflections on what she's been hearing uh, in terms of how uh, a lot of your ideas here and uh, how typical. And then, of course, we will ask for uh, you, our wonderful audience, to chime in with your questions and comments. Trissa. Yeah, thanks so much, Betsy. It's just so impressive how you described how you got from your uh, starting point a, a little while back and then used these tools to really organize and, and synergize your efforts in a way to move forward. One of the questions that came up as uh, as I've talked with many others and as I heard you talking is who did you identify as some of your strongest allies 
across your institution and your community. Uh, oftentimes we hear people who have a title of population health, you know, vice president or director or, or whatever, manager of population health, sometimes they feel isolated and like they're the only ones that get it or they're the only ones who have a responsibility to move it forward. But oftentimes there are allies across your system or across your community. They might not even think of themselves as doing that kind of work, but their work is very aligned. Tell me a little bit about who your allies are and how you found them. Yeah, I think, you know, all of this is very data-driven work. Um, and so I think it really started, I would say, years ago uh, with the data team here, very much um, growing with them how we're looking at uh, our data and identifying our opportunities and how we're, you know, measuring performance and everything. So I'd say definitely right out of the gate, um, allies with data. I think another big piece of this is technology. Um, so I think, as I mentioned before, one of the things we're really looking at is is really trying to embed as much as we can decision support when we're talking about within our healthcare system, uh, within our our you know the workflow tool which is a medical record. And so I have found um, a lot of alliance and help from uh, the uh, informatics team, and they've been incredibly helpful as we recently launched a, a care pathway for COPD um, and helping us to kind of put that within the workflow. And 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 so I think that they're a key component. Um, with that, I would say um, our nursing has been a huge resource, and both because I mean a lot of this work around care coordination and patient engagement fits squarely in the world of nursing, um, and so I think from the start, nursing has been a huge ally across the continuum um, and helping. So certainly there, um, and then I think you know on the on the physician side, I think uh, this is natural work for primary care. We also have um, some folks that are dealing with preventive medicine, uh, residency program, and family health center that deals with vulnerable populations. Um, on the community side, I think um, uh, we, you know, that's that is like that's sort of a lot of opportunities there. I would say our close relationship with the with Concord Regional VNA and behavioral health has been extremely helpful, and they've done a lot of important work in population health. So I would right there say that's definitely um, an ally. Um, there's so many other community organizations, but but I would I guess I would call those out specifically right at the top of the list. Thank you. Thank you, Betsy Reinhardt and Trissa, for laying out so much on the first part of our show here. And uh, lots of things to think about, ponder. You can certainly do that after the show as well. Uh, visual management is something we're also hearing a lot about these days, so it's interesting to hear about in the context of also integrating the population health work, which seems uh, like it's another something that can be part of a daily huddle, uh, and uh, that that's terrific. So this is your opportunity, those of you who have joined for this program, to ask questions, uh, make comments, and uh, as you're, you just put it in the chat bar there to all participants, and I always have a few questions uh, at the ready uh, as you guys are getting warmed up. Um, and uh, I, I think it's one. I think the thing I wanted to ask about is something that struck me when Trissa and Betsy and I were planning the program and the whole idea of population health involving a lot of innovation. 
uh, came up. Uh, this is not, you know, getting things off the shelf or having, you know, a lot of time honored things to look at, guides, et cetera. Pathways is certainly um, can help you structure stuff, but no matter what, there is a certain amount of innovation. I wanted to ask Trissa about that and kind of how, if you say that, then maybe it sort of, <laughs> maybe it helps people understand why it can be hard and it isn't always obvious. Yeah, thanks, Madge. I, I mean, I think there are pros and cons to saying innovation because that could also make it scary. Yeah. Um, but I do think it it also becomes an invitation. And I think it's a really important invitation because a lot of this is so much of a change in mindset. So yes, it involves doing different processes. It involves different partnerships uh, and it, it involves different approaches but it also involves different mindsets. It's different than when we think our job is to just treat an individual to our job is to support an individual, a whole group of individuals and a whole community in their pursuit of well-being. And seeing our role as in more of a supportive role is such a different mindset than it's our job to just treat you or cure you. And every different intervention process or approach we use also requires that shift in mindset. And I think that's part of why it is always innovative. Betsy, what would you say uh, in, in uh, thinking of it as innovative work? How has that been uh, helpful or either that or overwhelming? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Trista. I think it is about changing maybe, you know, it's being disruptive and, and, um, and changing models. It's also just about working as a system, um, and breaking down, you know, some of those, those prior, perhaps siloed, uh, work. And I think, um, but I, I agree a lot of it. It's a shift in mindset. There's new skills. Um, there's new roles to, to consider. Um, and so I think it's just, um, I think just on multiple levels, it's, it's innovative work, but you know, I'd also say that it's it's a new. As I mentioned before, there's new terminology, um, and I think it's really just kind of leading people to just a new way of considering health. You know, health and healthcare. One of the things, um, well, first of all, let me uh, acknowledge a comment here. It could be another show. This person wants to better understand the motivation, benefits, compensation, et cetera, of healthcare systems moving uh, towards pay-for-value model. So, of course, that is a, uh, a huge area uh, of, in our healthcare system right now, in the States in particular. But maybe we could uh, uh, shrink the change a little bit and talk. At Concord Hospital, um, how have you? How are you integrating uh, maybe some of the thinking about finances uh, and uh, sort of making this work, um, it, it, even on a you know three year model that you you spoke of? Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, that's I hit the wrong button. That's okay. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, what I would say is that um, uh, there's a couple of things I would mention. First, I think there's also just the understand, maybe creating some awareness. I mentioned earlier in my talk uh, when I was talking about the population health project cycle, how I talked about creating that financial model um, in the work that we're doing. And so what specifically 
what I try to show is because we are still largely fee-for-service, and I don't think fee-for-service will entirely ever go away. But right now, even with the with the risk models that we're uh, engaging in, it's still the, the architecture is still fee-for-service. Um, so most of them are shared savings models. So really what I do with that financial modeling is I show both the impact from a fee-for-service, you know, facility kind of, you know, traditional basis, as well as show how that will impact on the shared savings model side. And so one is just creating that understanding, um, just again, that financial modeling understanding. The, the second thing I would say is that, you know, um, I just, I, I think it's just going to continue to evolve, but I think um, the more that we can show the impact of this work through the data, and I mentioned the, you know, kind of the ensuring that you have your performance dashboard, your process and your outcomes measures, and, and being able to show that, that um, value that's created, um, as well as, and not just from the financial side, but, but on multiple levels, because we are looking at, you know, our mission is, is not just about achieving a, you know, operating margin. It, it is about uh, meeting the needs of our community and, and patient. And so the quadruple name, certainly patient outcomes and quality and safety are very much something that we're focused on. So being able to kind of show that broad spectrum of impact, um, I think also uh, can bring forward funding opportunities because you're, you know, going forward either from, uh, from you know, insurance companies or, um, or else from other resources and investments, you know, grants or, or community benefits or, or other investment um, resources. So I think right now there is some shift over um, and some payment for some work previously that was not you know, that has to do with population health work that was not previously um, uh, uh, provided for, like complex care management, as an example. Um, there's funding through Medicare for that. But I think there's a long way to go. And right now, it's really still very much, um, a com you know, more of a community benefit and, and um, grant-funded type work. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much, Betsy. Uh, this is Tris. I just wanted to jump in and elevate something that you said and said earlier from this question in terms of motivation, from my perspective, I think it's important to think about both hearts and minds. And so, yes, a piece of the motivation is about helping the resources align to do the out, to do the work that matters. Um, but a piece of that is about the work that matters, right? And, and that means it's aligned with the mission of the organization. And that's what I think of as the heart at the organizational level. But also going back to, we talk a lot about joy and work of our providers and, and our staff and recognizing that the stress um, and, and burnout that they're experiencing is challenging. And really when providers and staff can see the impact of improving the outcomes of the individuals and the populations they serve, that is so positively reinforcing and so engaging that can become a really important motivational factor. Betsy, somebody yeah, is. I, I oh, entirely. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say I entirely agree. I mean, I think I'm. I'm thinking about here. We have a delirium prevention um, initiative that is incredibly impactful um, and really um, innovative, and um, very much um, helping us to reduce falls and helping um, on on multiple fronts. And what people are seeing is they're seeing the impact of that work. Um, and they're seeing that it has positive outcomes for, you know, on, on multiple levels and they're seeing the data, um, related on all of the, you know, the, 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 
across the quality and safety, the cost of patient experience, et cetera, as well as workforce um, and their their joy in seeing this change. And so I do think that that is really important. And that's why I keep mentioning, you know, sort of having that thought intentional right up front. What are we looking to accomplish um, with the work that we're doing? Betsy, somebody is wondering in the chat whether the population health work at Concord uh, built upon any particular uh, foundational approach to improvement uh, in the organization. Uh, this person references lean, um, but anything in particular that you think might have set up uh, the health system well uh, in, in terms of uh, the shifting mindset and uh, going in this direction? Yeah, we're very much... Um lean, I, you know, with operational excellence is sort of what we use here and that you could see that in the visual management. Um, and I think that it, it's extremely helpful. It's been really helpful for me to tap into the um, the folks that are doing that process improvement work because they are systems thinker. Um, they are looking at, you know, they're, they're great at um, thinking through, um, you know, looking at how things can be done as efficiently, as effectively as possible as possible for one. And two, I think a lot of the work that we are doing in population health is process and there is processes within that systems work and we need we need the support to do that. So I think that that we we already were moving in that direction when we started the population health work. I think it's very synergistic with the direction we're going. Um, and and so I do see that as integral and, and as I mentioned in my comments that we are intentionally pulling on that resource at the start of every population health project. So what about the whole state of New Hampshire um, and uh, uh, leap from Concord uh, to this foundation for healthy communities? Uh, again, we don't have a ton of time to get into all of that, but that's a really important dimension of what's going on as well. Do you want to describe that for a moment, Betsy? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a peer group through New Hampshire's uh, Foundation for Healthy Communities um, started around the same time that we were going through our planning effort here locally. And the foundation is really a, a great local nonprofit that engages in partnerships to improve health and health care in New Hampshire. Um, and this peer group also used the Pathways Framework to assess how health systems in New Hampshire, New Hampshire had progressed in their population health efforts. And then look for areas where we could do more together um, than we could individually, broaden our scope of shared understanding about population health across across the state. So we use the Compass portfolio um, categories, and we looked, and this is what this chart represents is our aggregate, our average scores in aggregate on all of the skills and portfolios. Um, and if you were to look at the orange bar, that represents um, the uh, social and spiritual well-being, which is where we, and you can see the two stars, partnership and, and social and spiritual well-being, where we're focusing um, our energy. And so currently within that realm, look, going back to the portfolio two um, in, the, in the infinity diagram, we're really looking at how we're approaching screening for social drivers, um, which in short is very inconsistently um, without any standard. And really looking at is there ways that we can begin to better understand the scope of some of the social drivers in our state by asking uh, similar questions around, for example, food insecurity, or what can we do together to help drive perhaps policy change or um, or learn from each other. So I found that this has been very helpful to have the state benchmarks, the peer support, and shared learning um, to align our understanding as well as guideposts. All right. Wow. 
I think what we should do is start to wrap up. And uh, let me ask you, Trissa, to, uh, we were getting a lot of interesting pieces and views of what happens uh, with this work with Pathways, and there's more ways to dig into it. You can dig into the resources uh, and opportunities to do more work, and maybe you could speak to that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one thing I think that Betsy really called out is that this is a journey and uh, healthcare organizations are in many different places. Some of them that we talk to have a really solid intervention that they've done in one site. Maybe they have one primary care clinic that has been screening for social determinants and, and making key linkages between people who have food insecurity and the local food bank, but they want to try to figure out how to bring that to full scale across their system. Um, some organizations have some things going on in the community benefit arm of their health system, um, but maybe it's not connected at all to what's happening across the other aspects of their system. Their organizations are in such different places, but what we hear most is the desire to learn from one another, right? There's nobody who has this whole thing solved. There is no uh, perfect example to to follow after. But yet one organization, their their biggest asset or their biggest strength, that's someone else's biggest challenge. So bringing people together to learn from each other is an opportunity we hear people asking for over and over again. And that's part of why we've put together this opportunity that you see on the screen, which is our Improving Population Health Action Community. And we're looking for 25 organizations to come together to, to really be willing to learn and share together and accelerate on their own journey. And each organization we expect will come with an aspiration or an aim, something they want to achieve over the next 12 months relative to their population health work to really take it, kick it up to the next level, and also bring a willingness to share and learn together. So that's an opportunity that we're really looking forward to. And we would invite anybody who's on the call to reach out if they're interested. Great. And there's information on that slide. And also Aiden put in a nice link there. Betsy, uh, you're, you're in the thick of it now. <laughs> so what, what, what are some of the most immediate things, uh, on, on your to-do list or on the horizon, uh, that if we came back to you, uh, six months to a year from now, you might be telling us about? Yeah, I mean, I think we're um, really putting our organizational structure together and and being and getting clarity around how decision making is done. So I think just the governance and and the whole organizational structure I mentioned um, with the execution, we have some clear priorities. Um, we're going to begin some work on uh, diabetes. Continue to do evolution in our work around COPD. Um, we're continuing to uh, look at how we can. Um, work with complex patients, um, as well as emerging risk patients. Um, and I think we're looking at how we are providing um, health promotion and, and prevention work and, and, uh, and linking that up, you know, thinking more broadly about access to uh, nutrition and, and how that plays in and, and, um, and talking a little bit about in the community around food insecurity. Well, it's impressive, and I hope you will continue to share and we can all continue to learn from you, as Trissa is uh, talking about, in terms of what's going to move the field forward. So big thank you to you, Betsy Reinhardt from Concord Hospital up there in New Hampshire, uh, and uh, Trissa Torres 
um, who uh, has been driving so much of this work and uh, helping us keep it clear. I think whenever I talk to you, Trissa, I, I feel much less muddled about exactly what the components are. And I think these uh, resources from Pathways clearly can help. I think plotting things out does things for the mind. Uh, you can really, really see where you are and kind of the potential. So big thank you to the panel. Thank you to the audience. Uh, a reminder, you can grab all these resources or some of them when you get right off the program today. They'll be on the website tomorrow as well. And uh, next up on WIHI on March 26th, we're going to be taking up health equity, uh, looking at it from uh, a very sensitive and important area, which has to do with patient bias at times towards healthcare providers and how healthcare organizations are dealing with that in a very proactive way. Uh, we uh, always welcome your interest in the podcast. Uh, and if you subscribe under the Institute for Healthcare Improvement on Apple Podcasts, that's where you'll uh, get a show from uh, us on a regular basis. Any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org. Great group of people help make WIHI possible, and they include Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Mo Berry, and Val Weber. Also had help today from Aiden, and I'm going to mess up your last name, Baglivo? Okay, not too bad. All right, thank you, Aiden. Thank you again. You've been a great audience. Appreciate all your questions and comments. Keep on learning together. It's my privilege to host a program uh, that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day. Thanks for listening to WIHI. If you're interested in continuing the conversation on population health, join us at the IHI Summit on Primary Care, April 16th to 18th, right outside Washington, D.C. Attend over 30 sessions that will help you achieve better outcomes for the people and populations you serve. Save your spot before March 13th to save $100. Visit IHI.org summit for more information.